The Weekend Out, episode 291. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Weekend Out, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. I take it everyone survived last week's rather depressing episode, the one dealing with celebrity suicides and depression. Um, on a serious note, I hope someone got something out of that episode. I, I hope uh, it, it helps someone out there. I know I said I was going to try to refrain from going into any of the tabloid aspects of the Bourdain story. Uh, and I should say up front that I'm using a screen capture tool again because I'm going to be juggling a lot of video clips here. And I think this might cut down on the workload for me regarding the editing. But anyway, yeah, some images surfaced of Asia Argento kind of uh, canoodling with some French journalist. I guess they were originally sold and published a few hours before Anthony Bourdain's death and then quickly taken down upon news of his suicide. But they've nevertheless uh, ended up making their way into the public eye. My first reaction as a Bourdain fan and as someone who knows what it feels like to be cheated on was kind of like, how dare you, Asia, you know? But, uh, you know, you betrayed uh, Tony. But in fairness to her, who knows what was going on? Maybe her and Bourdain were technically broken up at the time or something. I don't know. Either way, the pictures kind of, uh, I don't know, they didn't sit right with me and kind of gross me out. But enough of this. What is uh, TWID turning into TMZ? Anyway, so onward. And before we start, I'd like to give a shout out to Stephen James Pastor for liking the Week in Doubt Facebook page. And uh, also before we start, I'd like to read some iTunes reviews. I haven't done that in a while. So first we have a review from good friend of uh, myself and the show, Crocoduck. And uh, he says... Been listening for a long time. Phil covers news stories, current events, and other topics of interest to agnostics, atheists, and whoever. He actually, he worked the tagline in there. All right. And gave me five stars. Pretty cool. Uh, thank you, my friend. And then next we have, oh boy, a negative review. Uh, someone who gave me uh, one star. And I want to say I, I try to take negative reviews in stride. You know, I'm human and kind of a neurotic human at that. So yeah, I certainly don't like being criticized or I don't like uh, being hit with a negative review. But I try to keep things in perspective. And, you know, I've been doing this show for several years now. And I still have um, 4.5 stars out of 5 on iTunes. And I'm very thankful for that. And hey, that ain't bad. So if I have to deal with a negative review every now and then, you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, I, of course, prefer constructive criticism to just someone, you know, panning me or my show. Uh, not much constructive criticism here. So one star. And this is by someone uh, using the uh, the alias or online handle, random guy on his phone. And for a minute, I thought that was the criticism of the show. And I was going to be like, well, you're not too far off the mark, except I don't think I've ever uh, recorded a show on my phone. Um, but he says, the arguments were not compelling. And I'm like, okay, so... I guess logically it's safe to assume he's probably some sort of believer or theist, uh, a religious individual, a Christian perhaps. 
And he didn't think that my arguments against literal belief in a god or an afterlife or against organized religion or whatever were very compelling or convincing, which is really no surprise because I think you're not going to... And first of all, I've said several times on the show, it's not my goal to try to convert people to be some kind of... Uh, evangelical atheist, you know, out there trying to make non-believers out of people. I mean, I guess to be honest, part of my, if I have an agenda with the show, is to try to advocate reason and critical thinking. Um, but I'm certainly not laboring under the delusion that a believing Christian is going to, you know, listen to an episode of my podcast and throw a lifetime of indoctrination out the window because of something, you know, I said. Uh, I certainly don't think I have that kind of power. I think when people with a certain worldview are confronted with a worldview that is antithetical or diametrically opposed to their own, it's kind of natural, in fairness, to be kind of defensive, to be a little standoffish. And they're probably really going to have to have their beliefs chipped away at for a long, long time before they eventually see the light, so to speak. Um, I know people like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins have talked about how they've personally gotten letters or emails from people telling them how they were responsible for turning them away from theism to atheism. And I guess I would say that obviously people like Harrison Dawkins have astronomically larger audiences than I have. So just statistically, there may be a chance that, you know, a small proportion of their audience will have some kind of irregular experience like that where they're very kind of quickly turned away from their uh, from the theistic beliefs they were raised with or whatever. But my guess would be that person was probably already primed or kind of already in a place where they were ready to be more receptive to the opposing worldview, which in the first place is maybe, you know, why they sought out the works of people like uh, high-profile atheists like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. And I don't know where this person is in life. I don't know if they're in kind of like a crisis point um, where they feel like maybe they're entering a transitional period where, you know, they're starting to question religion and they feel like they're becoming more open to atheistic arguments or whatever. Um, or it could be, I think some people just, uh, I think some people just like to hate listen or hate watch things or um, people like to challenge themselves intellectually by exposing themselves to the, uh, to the opposite or opposing point of view. And he might be one of those people that this person might still be a staunch theist, and, but they like to kind of challenge themselves or kind of uh, sharpen their wits by wrestling with the opposition or whatever. And if that's the case, I mean, I have to say, in, in fairness to myself, I think I make some pretty damn good uh, arguments against literal belief 
in um, a man-made concept of God or belief in an afterlife or, you know, it's literal belief in biblical texts or religious texts in general. For instance, my reasons for not believing in an afterlife or strongly doubting the existence of an afterlife are, well, for one, I just don't think the empirical evidence is there. The best quote-unquote evidence I think we have for an afterlife boils down to things like phony baloney double exposure pics of so-called ghosts from, uh, you know, the spiritualist era of the 19th century or modern photoshops. Um, incredibly cringe-inducing ghost hunter shows uh, where people use technology incorrectly. Um play a game of audio Rorschach with uh, so-called EVP recordings, um, claim that they were scratched in the dark, but none of us ever get to actually see the apparition on camera or whatever. Anecdotal stories about ghosts or uh, so-called near-death experiences. I-, I think probably every family or everyone knows someone who claims to have had some kind of encounter with a ghost and if you really look at them with a clear head, uh, they, they usually don't add up to much. I think one story a friend told me once is that his mother needed a certain amount of money and she happened to find that exact amount of money or something in the coat pocket of a dead relative, an uncle or something. Okay, well, then we have to ask, okay, okay, was there some kind of suspension of disbelief going on, some kind of embellishment? Was it really, in fact, the exact amount? We've probably all, you know, accidentally happened upon money we forgot about hanging around in a, in a pocket or something like that. Or in this case, you know, if, if you're doing someone else's laundry or you're cleaning out a closet, you might happen upon money in uh, someone else's pocket. And what's more likely that the person died with some forgotten money in their coat hanging in a closet somewhere, or that the person's ego self, their individual self, survived the death of the body, you know, phased through the wall into the house like Casper the ghost or something. And I don't know where the ghost got the money. But somehow or another, uh, you know, Casper got his hands on some greenbacks and stuffed them into the uh, the coat pocket of his... Uh, former mortal self or whatever. I mean, I think we all have these kind of spooky experiences where it seems like there's some kind of synchronicity at work or at play. Um, but do those really amount to solid evidence of supernatural phenomena? For instance, we've probably all had the experience where you're thinking about a certain song and all of a sudden it comes on the radio or you were thinking about a friend, and all of a sudden that friend calls you. And yeah, that does feel kind of spooky. You know, it kind of makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. But to me, most likely it's a statistics game, even though it's kind of fun and thrilling to think otherwise. Because think about how many times are you thinking about a certain song, and it doesn't come on the radio? How many times are you thinking about someone... And they don't call you a hell of a lot more than, you know, they do or, or you do hear that song or whatever. So almost statistically, once in a while, you're bound to experience that kind of coincidence, I would say. And I know um, when we were kids, my two older brothers shared a room. 
and I don't know, they could have been adolescents or in their early teens at the time. And they had a story about how they were both lying in bed. I think I've told this on the show before. And they saw, like, something white fly over their beds in the dark of the room, you know? And uh, both thought it was a ghost or something. And I remember what it's like to be a kid. And kids kind of like to have fun by scaring one another or themselves. You know, you kind of pull the covers up and peek around the room and then pull the covers over your head and hope that Mr. Ghost or whatever lies in the dark isn't going to get you. And there's a kind of certain kind of little thrill, you know, cozy thrill or something to that. So could it be that they saw something, either, you know, a headlight beam quickly cut through the window, or could it be that one of them threw a, a white pillowcase or something over at the other one and then just kept playing along and preserved or perpetuated the narrative that it was a ghost? Um, I'm not saying I know with 100% certainty that there isn't an afterlife, or that there aren't spirits, but going on everything that I can piece together, what we know about brain anatomy, uh, the dearth or lack of evidence for the existence of spirits or ghosts, uh, an afterlife, etc., um, it seems like the logical assumption is that those things don't exist. And the best evidence we can muster up are anecdotal stories that can be explained away naturally, you know, I mean, that's not very good evidence. And as far as um, NDEs or near-death experiences go, I'm sure that some people really do have very powerful and convincing experiences, but I think there's a good chance that those things could be explained away by chemical activity in the dying brain or a brain starved of oxygen or whatever. Um, do I know that to be the case with 100% certainty? No, but once again, due to a lack of any strong evidence of the existence of an afterlife, no matter how badly we may want to believe in one, I mean, either the evidence is there or it isn't, and we should care about the truth. But once again, if the best evidence we have are anecdotal near-death experiences that may be explainable via activity in the dying brain, or uh, really kind of weak and dubious anecdotal stories about ghosts, uh, that's not good evidence to me. It's not. And from everything we know about the brain, there seems to be a direct correlation between consciousness and the physical brain and personality in the physical brain. We know that if you damage a specific area of the brain, you can cause a correlating deficit in performance. For instance, if you damage the frontal lobe, uh, there may be changes in personality, impulse control, that kind of thing. We know there's a direct correlation between the buildup of plaques and tangles in the brain and the devastating neurodegenerative disease known as Alzheimer's. Damage a certain part of the brain and you can damage the ability to speak the ability to recognize faces, etc., etc. So the brain does seem to be this admittedly very impressive and complex kind of a multifold organic machine with different parts responsible for different functions. And I've never seen any convincing or compelling evidence that the individual self can survive the death 
of that fleshy machine, uh, you know, uh, brain death or bodily death. Um, and I'm not saying that's what I want to be true. As I've said ad nauseum on this show, for me, the journey of going from being a young believer who is taught that there's a God at the center of all this or behind all this, who imbued, created us, imbued everything with meaning, and that when we die, we'll get to spend eternity with our loved ones, etc. Um, having that kind of carpet slowly pulled out from under me, granted because of my own sense of reason and putting the puzzle pieces together, that that carpet was slowly being pulled out from under me, or, you know, having my reason slowly erode my faith and having to confront these deeply troubling ideas that there may not be an afterlife, there may not be a higher power that gave all this purpose, um, and that when you die, that's it. Those were really tough concepts to wrestle with. And I experienced some very dark nights of the soul wrestling with, with those things. But still, for some reason, you know, I was stubborn or principled enough that the truth mattered to me. And even if it meant looking a nightmare in the eye, I wanted to know the truth. Even if it meant staring into the abyss and, uh, and no, I won't bother with the hackneyed uh, Nietzsche or Nietzsche quote <laughs> about staring into the abyss. But you know what I mean? Looking these horrible concepts in the eye that, you know, after being raised religious and suddenly really being confronted with the horrible possibility that what I was taught, what I was indoctrinated into may not be true and that when we die, it's just lights out. As horrible of a proposition as that might have been, I still felt some kind of duty to the truth. I rather would know the truth and have to wrestle with that dark night than simply pacify myself with the superstitious dogma I had been spoon-fed growing up, you know? So for the sake of brevity or simplicity, um, you can simply refer to me as an atheist. I sometimes still refer to myself simply as an atheist. Technically, I consider myself an agnostic atheist as a... Uh, I think many, many atheists are technically agnostic atheists. Gnosis refers to the, the Greek word for knowledge. Agnostic basically means you don't know. You don't claim to know. Um, just factually, you admit that technically you don't know whether there is or isn't a God, or that at least you think it can't be definitively proven one way or, or the other. Uh, and I'm not arrogant enough to say that I know for certain whether there is or isn't a god. But then the atheist portion of the label refers to the fact that, personally, you tend to doubt the existence of those things, of a god, of an afterlife, because you just don't think that there's good evidence. And I think, as I've talked also talked about on the show before, I think my atheism kind of swings harder, depending on what we're specifically talking about. I think even like Victor, the late Victor Stenger, you know, a staunch atheist, once said in a debate that I was watching, even he is technically agnostic regarding some vague notion of a higher power, uh, the god of the deists or something like that. But when it comes to the faith claims of organized religions, 
these specific man-made concepts of God, then I swing more towards hard atheism. Uh, as far as I can see, all religions are simply man-made belief systems, and you can look at them, you can see how, say with the Judeo-Christian Bible, both the Old and New Testament, you can see how they're essentially cobbled together anthologies written by various authors. Um, and you can even see how the concept of God, the concept of the devil, how these things evolve over time and borrow from other um, belief systems. You can see how polytheism develops into monotheism in certain cases, including with the God of the Bible. So yeah, not arrogant enough to claim that I know with 100% certainty whether there is or isn't a higher power in afterlife, but I'm atheistic in the sense that I don't see any good or compelling evidence. Uh, and I think we should all try to avoid simply believing in something because we find comfort in it. Um, and I know that can be tempting. In some cases, it might even be a good coping mechanism. I'm sure in some cases, religion really helps people get through some tough times or it helps them, you know, make sense of the world or keep going. In other ways, I think religion can be very harmful. I, I think uh, it can breed neuroses. Teaching young children to constantly be in fear of hell, um, that these kind of two cosmic boogeymen, God and the devil, are constantly watching them and vying for control over them or whatever, you know? Yeah, but I think just because we find an idea comforting doesn't mean that we should accept it as fact. I think that we should take life seriously enough to take this phenomenon of existence seriously enough that we want to know what the actual truth of it is. The universe is such a big mysterious place and we're but finite creatures with relatively, you know, very short lifespans in contrast to the age of the universe, etc. that no single one of us will ever probably be privy to all the answers. But we should still try to want to get as close as possible to the actual truth. And uh, not wear these man-made religious blinders because it makes us feel better. So the man-made nature of religion and uh, what we know about the anatomy of the brain and uh, in conjunction with the dearth of empirical evidence for the existence of a soul. Those are my arguments, uh, random guy on his phone, and I think they're pretty compelling. So get bent. <laughs> I had the vent a little at the end there.